A few weeks ago, we began a new series through the book of James, and uh, I want to take some time to recap where we've been, uh, because James chapter 1, verses 2 through 12 are really one unit of thought, but it's a very large unit, and there are a lot of ideas in it, and it's very easy as we work our way through it to kind of lose, um, as the cliche goes, lose sight of the forest because of all, we're looking at all the individual trees. So I want to take a minute and try to, first of all, show you how the whole paragraph relates to one another, but then uh, kind of recap where we've been as, as we move forward for today. James chapter 1, verse 1, begins by introducing the author of the book of James, and uh, we looked at that early on in this passage, but the paragraph that we're studying now really begins in verse 2. Where the scripture says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. This is where James begins the paragraph and sets forth really the topic for the paragraph in this verse. And the topic of this paragraph is really uh, indicated by the words trials. You see there in verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And verse 3 elaborates on these trials by calling them the testing of our faith. And so I've told you in previous sessions that these trials are the problems that we experience in life as human beings living in a fallen world. And whether, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, you're going to face problems in life. It's inevitable. But by calling them in verse 3 the testing of our faith and connecting that to trials... James is trying to tell us that the ordinary problems of life are when God puts our faith in him to the test. And the entire paragraph that is James chapter 1, verses 2 through 12, are elaborating for us all of the ways in which God works in trials and how God uses trials in our lives. And notice in verse 3, he says that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That's the result that God is after when he allows Christians to encounter trials. He wants you to develop a persevering faith, the kind of faith that won't quit believing in him and won't quit following Jesus Christ when life gets difficult and when we face issues and problems in life. Now, verses 4 through 11 are where we've been for the past several Sundays. And this is elaborating on the... Um, the nature of trials and what God does in them and for us during trials. But as we come to verse 12, which we'll, we'll get to in a few weeks, James comes back to this idea of trials. Notice again in verse 12, he says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Again, the same word is repeated. And then he says, having stood the test. This is a repetition of verse 3, the testing of your faith. And he notice, notices, he says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trials. That connects also to verse 3. And so this entire section of scripture is all about trials. And it's trying to teach us as Christians what God is doing in trials and why he allows us to encounter them. And so what does God tell us about trials? Well, we saw that already in a previous message back in uh, verse 1, or verse 2, I should say, and that is that God commands us to choose joy when he tests our faith. When we encounter the trials of life, God commands us to choose joy. 
And that goes against our normal sensibilities. All of us as human beings hate encountering problems in life. We dislike the insults that we receive from other people in this life. We dislike the challenges that go with living in a fallen world. And it's very hard. In fact, it takes, I would say, an intentional act of faith to choose joy, to believe that we can be joyful despite the problems that we face in life. And God commands us in verse 2 to choose joy in trials, but it's all related to what he is doing. And the rest of the paragraph after verse 2 fills in the point that God is trying to teach us and convey to us when we encounter the problems in life. And so we could actually uh, fill in two answers to the word because. Why should we have joy in trials? As, as we've seen in previous messages, there are two reasons revealed. The first is revealed in verses 2 through 4. And that is God commands us to choose joy when he tests our faith because God uses suffering to complete us as Christians. The suffering that you face in trials is not pointless. Not at all. In fact, it is very much the working of God in your life to change you to grow you as a Christian, to strengthen your faith. And so as we um, continue to review where we've been in this passage, in uh, verse 3, he says, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That idea of perseverance is a won't-quit attitude. It's the kind of faith that doesn't give up following Christ because it got hard or because we don't understand what God is doing, or because we are disappointed with, other, with the way others have treated us. God wants us to strengthen our faith so that it will persevere through any situation and any trial that we face in life. And verse 4 goes on to say, let perseverance finish. See, that's the problem. The problem that we, or the temptation that we have in life, is that we won't let perseverance finish. We want out of the trial immediately. And if renouncing our faith in Christ makes it easier to get out of the trial or makes it easier to find a sinful way out of the trial, that's the temptation that we face. And so the scripture tells us that we should let perseverance finish. We should let it it, um, grow us. And the reason is so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God wants to mature you as a Christian. He wants to finish the job that Christ began when he saved you and declared you to be holy in God's sight. God wants to make you holy in reality. So if you want to be a holy person, do you want to be like Jesus Christ? Do you want to become a holy man or woman of God? Then don't quit when following Jesus gets hard. Don't quit when you have more questions than answers about the way your life is going. Instead, keep trusting God. And choose joy because you know that God is doing something in your life. Choose joy in trials because God is going to use it to produce maturity in your life as a Christian. Now, after telling us to choose joy when we suffer because we know God is working and using our sufferings to build endurance in the Christian life. James goes on to give us a second reason 
why God commands us to choose joy when he tests our faith. And that is because we have help available from God in our suffering. Because we have help available from God in our suffering. Beginning in verse 5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, and that is wisdom about the trials. That is, you don't know how to respond. You don't know the Christ-like way to respond or the wisest way to respond. The Bible says you're not on your own. You don't have to figure out the way forward when you encounter the hard times in life. Instead, God is standing by and he's ready to assist you. And how does he do that? Verse 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. And the, the verse ends with this promise, and it will be given to you. As James teaches us why we should follow Christ in trials, he teaches us that we have help available from God in the trials of our life. So use it. Go to God when you are suffering. Go to God when you have questions. Ask him for wisdom. And the Bible says it will be given to you. And there's one condition that God lays down when we ask him. And that's described for us in verses 6 through 7. 6 through 8, I should say, and that is you must believe and not doubt. Again, it comes back to faith. God will provide you all the wisdom you need in the moments of trials if you ask him for it and if you believe that he will give it to you and that you should follow it. And so this is just a review of where we've been. God commands us to choose joy when he tests our faith. Now, I said all of that in part to review, but also to try to connect this passage together and get you ready for the passage or the part of the passage, the subparagraph that we begin this morning. And that subparagraph begins in verse 9. And it looks like a change of topic, but it's not a change of topic at all. In uh, James chapter 1, verse 9, we see these words, Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. Now again, this looks like a departure from the point. James has been talking about trials and what God is doing in trials and how God is going there to assist us in trials if we pray and ask for it in faith. And then all of a sudden he starts talking about the poor and the rich. And it looks like maybe he has jumped to a new topic, but I don't think so because, again, verse 12 comes back to the point of trials. And so I think all of this is one unit. And so the question is, and what we need to begin um, studying and thinking about for this morning, is um, some of the specific types of people who encounter trials in life. That's what James is talking about in verses 9, 10, and 11 when he starts talking about the poor and the rich. He is taking these truths, these sort of abstract truths about trials, and he's applying them into the lives of particular types of people who are living in particular challenges to faith. And so God commands us to choose joy when he tests our faith, and poverty and wealth test our faith in the area of humility. That's the point. When James begins talking about the poor and the rich in verses 9 through 11, He is saying that money, whether you have it or don't have it, is going to test your faith. And the test specifically, whether rich or poor, has to do with the idea of humility. Humility is an internal awareness of your inferiority. All right, What is humility? It's an internal awareness of your inferiority in any way. Humility is a key ingredient in learning 
anything in life. You cannot grow, you cannot learn if you don't have humility. And so humility begins when we eternally, internally assess who we are and realize that we are inferior in one way or another. That might mean if I want to learn a new skill, I have to go to a teacher and recognize, I have to admit my ignorance, my inferiority to that teacher in order to learn from that teacher. That's one aspect of humility. But here in verse 9, James talks about humility in a different sense. He talks about it in an economic sense. And he tells us that poverty is humiliating, but God's grace elevates the poor. Poverty is humiliating, but God's grace elevates the poor. In James chapter 1, verse 9, the scripture says, Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. This is a difficult verse to understand at first blush, especially if you don't understand it in the context. We've perfected, and there's a term that people use called the humble brag Right where you say, I'm humbled to have received this award as the most outstanding salesman in North America. Okay, that's the humble brag, right? Where you declare your humility while bragging about your accomplishments. Well, here in James chapter 1, verse 9, it sort of looks like James is beginning the humble brag. He says, the humble people should brag about their high position. And as I said, at first blush, it's very difficult to understand what James is saying and what he's teaching us. We see that James begins by talking about believers in humble circumstances. And humble circumstances can mean many different things. If we're talking about humility and humility is an awareness of your own inferiority, then that can be applied in many different aspects. But because verse 10 begins with the word but and sets up a contrast between whoever is being talked about in verse 9 and the person in verse 10, then we are to understand that humble circumstances here, according to James, is the opposite of the rich. In other words, it's a a way for James to talk about those who are poor. Someone who is poor is inferior in an economic sense and has an awareness that others have greater economic power than they do. And so when James says the believer in humble circumstances, he doesn't use the word poor. He uses this phrase, which is unusual in the New Testament. There are regular New Testament words for poor. This is not one of them. Why does James do this? He does it to unpack and to present for us the challenges of being poor in the world in which we live in. And James is intimately familiar with what poverty is all about. Remember in Uh, James chapter 1, verse 1, I told you that James was a half-brother of Jesus Christ. That is, Christ was born of a, he was conceived and born of a virgin. And after his virgin birth, his mother Mary and Joseph married and had other children. Those other children were biologically related to Mary, or related to Jesus, I should say, through Mary. And that makes them Jesus' half-brothers and sisters, okay? James, the author of this book, was Jesus' half-brother. He grew up in the same household as Jesus Christ. And if we know anything about Joseph, James' father, Jesus' adoptive father, it's that he was poor. Jesus' very birth underscored his poverty. 
And though Joseph, we know it was a carpenter, the Bible tells us in no uncertain terms that he was a poor man. And given the fact that when Jesus comes on the scene, his mother Mary and his brothers appear in the New Testament, but Joseph does not appear, it seems clear that Joseph probably died before Jesus became a man. And that would have made it even harder for Mary, as a widow, raising children on her own, to have the economic means to provide for her family. So what is the point of all this? The point is this. James knows what humble circumstances are all about. He lived in poverty. Jesus lived in poverty. They knew what it was to compare what they had to other people and know that they were economically inferior. And so when James tells us in verse 9, believers in humble circumstances, believers who are economically poor, ought to take pride in their high position, James speaks from an authoritative place because he has lived through this reality in his life. James uses this phrase, humble circumstances, to highlight what the experience of poverty is like. That's the point. That's why he doesn't use the normal word for poor. He wants us to really understand what it feels like to be poor. Being poor is an acute awareness of your own economic inferiority to other people. Years ago, I decided to buy food, get carry-out food from Qdoba for my family. All right, So if you've ever been to Qdoba, it's like a Mexican fast food restaurant. And it's one of those deals where you kind of walk down the steam table and tell them what you want, and they put it all together for you, and you pay when you reach the end of the line. So I went by myself to get food for my family. My kids were much younger then. And I drove to Qdoba, and I went through the line, and I ordered enough food for five people, okay? And then I got to the cash register to pay and realized I had forgotten my wallet. It was a humiliating experience. For some reason or other, I still convinced them to give me the food. (laughs) And I promised that I would come back and pay them, and guess what? They still haven't found me. No, I'm kidding. I rushed home with the food to my family, and then I got my wallet and I rushed back to pay because it was humiliating for me to take something that had value without providing the value that it was worth. That one experience was a humiliating moment for me, but this is how poor people live all the time. When James calls them brothers in humble circumstances, that's what he's trying to get us to understand. He's trying to get us to feel in our guts what it must be like to live in poverty in this world. And so as James describes this feeling of, or this this, uh, sense of economic inferiority, he is saying people who are poor in this world are humbled again and again. They feel this humiliation, this kind of humiliation that I felt once in my life. They feel on a regular basis. People who are poor feel the humiliation of being judged by people who have better stuff or more stuff or have the ability to buy the stuff that they want or need. 
Anytime a poor person says, I can't afford to buy better shoes. I can't afford to go to that restaurant with you. They're feeling that gap between and that, that sense of being inferior economically to others. But not only that, they feel it in their day-to-day experience. Their day-to-day existence reminds them that they are economically inferior to everyone around them. Imagine what it would be like to have a family and Christmas is approaching and you want to buy your child or your children Christmas gifts that they desperately want, a toy that maybe they played with with a friend or something they found in a magazine. And you, you would love the experience of being able to buy that gift and wrap it up and put it under the tree and see the joy in their eyes when they open it, but you can't afford to. And so you have to tell your kids, I would love to buy that for you, but I just can't. That's what the everyday experience of the poor is like. They are humiliated and feel the humiliation of being economically inferior over and over again. Or imagine how it must feel if you're a single person and poor. And you have to scrounge around in the couch cushions or you have to go out and try to find enough bottles and cans to return so that you can pay bus fare to get where you need to go. Or because you can't find a steady job, you have to do odd jobs here and there to try to have enough money to pay for today's expenses, for today's meals. That's what poor people experience on a regular basis. Now, in our country, we have programs to help the poor. We have government programs and we have private charities to help people who are poor. And yet there are still people in our country who have less than what they need. And if you compare people in our country, anybody in our country, to other countries around the world where poverty is an even greater reality, the truth of the matter is, in many instances and in many ways, the poor in our country are far better off economically than even the middle class in other countries. In James chapter 1, verse 9, when he says believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, James knows from experience how difficult what he is saying is. He knows from experience what it is like to feel less than economically. But notice that James's words in verse 9 are not describing every poor person alive or whoever lived. And they're not describing poor people in general. Instead, he begins with these words. He says, believers in humble circumstances. And that makes all the difference in explaining what James is trying to teach us in verse 9. James describes the poor that he's describing in verse 9 as believers in humble circumstances. So he's not describing poor people in general. Rather, he's talking about poor people who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, it's a trial to be poor in any society at any time during human existence. 
You might struggle with, but if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it might even be a greater trial for you. Because you might struggle with questions like this. If God loves me so much that he sent his son to die for my sins so that I can live eternity for eternity with him, then why don't I have enough money to pay for the rent this month? Someone who is poor but a believer in Jesus Christ is faces, faces the trial, the temptation to turn their back on their faith in Jesus Christ on a regular basis. Or they have to depend completely upon God. And that's why James uses this phrase in humble circumstances. Poor people have been humbled by the world. They've been humbled by existence. They know what it means to feel inferior in this world. But God, God's word tells us that as God saves people around the world and throughout human history, that God often saves more people who are poor than people who are economically okay or people who are rich. James, actually, in this letter, is going to have a lot to say about the poor. Later on, he's going to say this. Has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? And so when James here says in verse 9, believers in, in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. What on earth is he talking about? He is talking about the grace of Jesus Christ who has come into the life of a believer in humble circumstances. The high position he describes in verse 9 is the exalted status that God gives by his grace to every believer in Christ, whether rich, middle class, or poor. And by describing the poor believers as people who are exalted in their high position, he is reminding them that by the grace of Jesus Christ, God has granted them status that they will never have economically in this world. That's because when we come to know God and are saved from our sins by nothing other than the free grace of God, we receive a new position, a new status. Instead of being guilty before a holy God and, and, and deserving of his eternal punishment. God exalts us. He adopts us into his family and says, you are my children. Once a sinner comes to faith in Jesus Christ, God removes the penalty of sin that all of us deserve. And he grants to that person all the rights and privileges that go with being a son of God. And other passages of scripture tell us that God God's not a, he's not a favoritism. He doesn't show favoritism. The, the Bible teaches us that clearly. But because the poor have a greater sense of their own need of Christ, the grace of God seems to save more people from, that, uh, from, from the group of people we would describe as poor than from other classes of society. Now, let's bring this down to the world in which we live in. Compared to the rest of the world, even the poorest among us is well cared for 
Well, you may have economic concerns. Living in America means you have more choices and more opportunity to tap into and have your needs provided for. But you may feel inferior in many ways to this world, economically inferior or inferior in many other or any other kind of way. But if you belong to Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you have been exalted because you have been promised a place in God's eternal kingdom, a place that can never be taken away from you. And the Bible says throughout the coming ages, God is going to pour out upon you as a believer all the riches of his grace in Christ Jesus. God is going to lavish us when we reach eternity. And so you may feel inferior in many ways in this world, but if you, long, if you belong to Jesus Christ, your life as a poor person may test your faith. There may be moments where your hunger causes you to wonder about the love of God. And that's when you need to intentionally remind yourself of what God has given to you in Christ. Not because you're poor, not because you're rich, not because of anything that you have done, but only because of his free grace in Jesus Christ. And so when James says in James 1.9, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, what he is saying is this. Well, you may struggle economically in this life, and that struggle may cause you to question your faith in Christ, may cause you to desire to turn back from Christ and following him because it's too hard. James says, instead of doing that, intentionally remind yourself of what God has declared you to be in Jesus Christ. And he even goes so, so far to say that we should take pride in our high position. I think that that's another way of saying what he said in verse 2, that we should choose joy. It's a, an intentional change of our mind to think differently about our status, not based on how we compare and stack up with other people in this world, but based on what God has given to us in Jesus Christ and what God has promised for us in eternity. God's word tells us that poverty and wealth test our faith in the area of humility. And poverty is humiliating, but God's grace elevates the poor. And if you're watching this either online or you're here with us this morning, but you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, greater than any economic problem you have, greater than any personal problem that you have, greater than any challenge in your health or your life that you have, is your, your status with God. Have you received the grace of God in Jesus Christ? Have you believed by faith in Christ, received the forgiveness of your sins? If so, then the Bible says God in his grace is a free gift has elevated you beyond even the wealthiest billionaire in our society. And the thing that you and I should take joy in, the thing that you and I should, the place where you and I should find our identity is not in the status that we have compared to our neighbors, compared to other people in the company that we work for, compared to other people in our society, 
the place where we should find our significance is in the status that has been given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, let me welcome you, let me encourage you, let me urge you to humble yourself, to admit that you need to be saved. And in that humility then, turn to God and say, God, give me what only you can. Give me the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. That's how poverty tests our humility. That's how it tests our faith. When we realize how much we are lacking in this world and before God, will we come to God and receive what he offers us or not? That humility is an intentional act of faith. That's the big idea for today's message. If you are going to make it through the trials and tests of this world with your faith intact, you need to recognize who you are, not based on other people, but based on God. And humble yourself before him, receiving his grace and salvation, but also looking to him for wisdom in the trials that you face in life. It takes an intentional act to do that. Humility is an intentional act of faith. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, even if you're watching online, here's the opportunity for you to know Jesus Christ, to know God, and to receive the forgiveness of your sins. But you have to acknowledge your need. You have to humble yourself to receive what God has given you in Christ. As Christians, we also need to remember That God saved us not based on our likability, not based on our human accomplishments, not based on our pedigree or our economic status or the color of our skin. But God saved us because of his mercy and grace alone. We need to humble ourselves and remind ourselves that following Jesus requires humility. So humility is an intentional act of faith.